Hello, welcome to Free Will Science and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and today I'm here with just George Ortega, just the two of us, and we have some important things to talk about, about people's belief in God and their theology, how that will change under the no free will understanding. <laughs> I mean, I have some thoughts on that, and I'm sure, no, you do, George, so which of us should start talking? About? I wanted to start, Chandler. Okay, well, for one thing, um, there seems to be, you know, there seems to be this big problem, um, you know, because you, certain attributes of God, you know, the omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, omnibenevolence. Well, omniscience isn't really in conflict if you have a no free will understanding, you understand that everything happens for a cause or a reason. Well, then, in theory, God or Laplace's demon, you know, can know everything that's going to happen, knowing the every particle in the universe and all that. Um, so that's not a problem, but then it does raise the question of what can omnipotence mean? Um, because if none of us, uh, because it's illogically impossible to have been able to do otherwise, well, then how does that apply to God, even if God exists? Like, because if God couldn't have done otherwise, well, then what does it mean to be all-powerful? If because and what causality would lead to God doing what God does? So how does this like this? How does this even begin to make sense? Once no, all right, I hear you. So let's let's reiterate. Basically, we human beings don't have a free will because the causal regression behind everything we do spans back to before we were born, before you know, the planet was created, presumably before the Big Bang and whatever came before that. So what, we're ha what we have to um, grapple with is like, this causality presumably also applies to God. In other words, like, God makes a decision, there was a reason for God making the decision, and there was a reason why God had that reason to make the decision. So this, this causal chain uh, also applies to God. And again, um, that that presents the dilemma in terms of like assigning any kind of attribute, you know, whether it's benevolence or evil, or whatever, to God. Because like you know, with all right, with us to for us to not have free will, all we have to do is recognize that the chain of events leading to whatever we do regresses back to before we're born. Yeah. With God, it's a bit more complicated because if God, let's say, let's say we posit God always existed, yeah. then that means that like. That means we never reach a point where we can say, well, at this point, God decided to create evil. At this point, God decided to create goodness. And that's, that's the, the dilemma. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's kind of weird. Now, I, I, now, people know, like, you're pantheist and I'm atheist, but this is kind of interesting because I was kind of stuck in a deist phase for, for a while. And it, it might be interesting for the audience to hear what my thoughts were back then because I was thinking, well, maybe God created the world but then he got depressed and committed suicide because he felt like a failure after after seeing what a mess it turned into i mean that was my thought because you know what people do their own emotions their own thoughts how they feel about themselves well that becomes god you know that's what i've noticed it's like i've tried to explain notice that god loves whoever the individual speaking loves and god hates whoever that individual hates have you ever noticed that <laughs> so yeah people do that um but it's kind of interesting because, like, with your understanding, I'm guessing, like, if God's the universe, well, you no longer have to view God as a separate thing from 
humanity or the other animals or plants or anything, but that all of us are a jigsaw piece and a jigsaw puzzle of the universe or God. That's sort of like how I've tried to explain what that would mean. You know, it's all big part of a big God universal puzzle <laughs> somehow. Yeah, and, and I basically, Ma, you're, you're right. I'm a pantheist, and I think I arrive at that understanding based on uh, kind of like logical considerations. For example, um, if God, let's say, one, one belief is that God create, existed before he created this world, right? This earth, the human beings, right? Um, the other stars, the universe. Now, if that's the case, um, the only thing, thing that existed before the quote-unquote world existed was God. So the only material that God had to use in order to create the world was God. So, you know, taken from that perspective, that means that, yes, that, that means that you're God, I'm God, everything has to be God, because, again, like, if God existed before God created the world, the only thing from which God could have logically created the world was God, God itself. Right, and you know what's interesting, sort of the way that I arrive at a sort of um, atheistic position is, well, because the kinds of claims that I've heard all my life from the Christians, the Muslims, the Jews, all these people, they say, well, God created the, the world. God created the universe. And, well, what did God create out of? Nothing. He popped into existence out of nothing. And I'm like, so the universe is nothing. It was, it's, it's literally made out of nothing. And I'm like, that ha because, but it seems like it's something to me. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> Be, and, and then, because if God, but if you say, well, God made the universe out of wood. Well, where did he get the wood from? Oh, he chopped down a tree. Well, where did the tree come from? I don't know. Who, who created this tree that God had to get the material from? I don't know. Like, I tried to make sense out of it and failed. <laughs> well, Chandler, I mean, like, you're right, but that, you know, this kind of like, Illogic, the transcendence of logic perhaps applies not only to theism, um, it also applies to science. Because, for example, like, you know, uh, they say that the Big Bang was this like infinitesimally small, you know, dense collection of whatever that eventually expanded into our known universe. So, one question becomes well, what, what must have it expanded into? There must have been something for it to expand into. You know, that, and, and then, like, for example, um, here's something that most people don't think about in terms of, like, the logic of, of, of reality. We can, we can sense, like, the universe expanding outward infinitely and never stopping. That, that's a possibility. But what a lot of people don't realize that this, you know, just as things can get larger, take any kind of, like, point, an atom, an electron, a photon. Let's say you had a microscope or something to keep getting smaller and smaller if we had the technology. I think logically you never stop getting smaller you know and so like what you have is like this one major universe this one universe that's comprised of an infinite number of infinitely small universes within it so it's so again like what i'm saying basically saying is the basic fabric of reality whether you want to consider it theistically or scientifically at a certain point breaks down you know the it, it, the, it transcends logic it really does either way no matter how you try to look at it like and you've talked about before like this first cause, well, what caused it? And if there's and and if there and if there's an infinite regression, well, that seems weird because we don't know how to grasp the idea of something that doesn't begin or end. You know, I mean, um, and it, it's kind of weird because um, 
like I, you know, people talk about like the it, like the universe freezing over or something like that as things get moved away too far for heat or something. And well, that sounds weird to me, but who's to know that at a later time there won't be life after that after something else happens in the universe? Like how how do you know? <laughs> And actually, people theorize that. People theorize that there's actually a big bang, then a big crunch, then another big bang. That it's kind of like cyclical, right? And again, like we're, we can only guess at that, right? And you know, there's this thing that people bring up called the multiverse thing, which is really weird because when, now when I talk about the universe, I'm going by word by definition. You know, everything that exists everywhere. So all universes would be part of one big universe, but. If people are talking about the known universe, what, as far as we can know, and this singularity that Big Banged into what we have now, well, then I'm think I used to theorize, well, where'd that come from? Was it like a mother universe and a father universe, and they conceived a baby universe? Because you know how, George, you know how my brain works. I'm always thinking about conception yeah. of these babies, and so that was how I tried to think. There's a baby universe that developed, and I don't know. Yeah. All right. So like with multiverses, I mean, one thing we have to consider that it's it's somewhat of a misnomer to refer to multiverses because the term universe literally means uni means one. So in other words, there's only one reality. If we're going to posit, you know, multiple domains or something within this one universe, I don't think it's technically correct to call them universes. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, but again, like, um, you know, it transcends logic. This, you know, to to you, to me, I think it seems more likely that reality, the universe, always existed, will always exist, than than it had a beginning. Because again, like the question becomes, well, how did it start? But but again, like this, even the 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 prospect of a universe that that is eternal, always existed, does seem to transcend logic in a certain sense. Yeah, you know, and every religion has its own creation or origin story. Like there was a Hinduism one about an egg that everything came from, and then well, you're like, well, who made the egg? Who, what chicken laid the egg? You know. Right. So, channel, let's pull this back to the free will thing. So yeah. basically, one of the things that we're struggling against with our message to lead the world to a brand new reality-based consciousness, because I mean, there absolutely is, there can never be any free will, regardless of how you define the universe. Um, one of the problems is like, as we're talking about before, if we, if, if we don't have a free will and we do things that we consider wrong or evil, um, from a theistic perspective, at least, if this evil is not fundamentally up to us, it has to be fundamentally up to the God who created us and who, I guess, through this law of causality makes everything happen. So then, so, you know, we have to figure out a way to get theists to accept that, to understand that, that I'm not sure there's a way to absolve God of this fundamental, you know, we, we praise him for what's good, but I think we also have to very logically praise God for what, what's evil. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that? Not, did I say praise? No, to, to right, yeah, I, I, I'm sure, you, see, you made a mistake, you don't have a free will, see, so you make mistakes. But, but yeah, I know what you mean, yeah, of course, some people do praise God for evil, I don't know what's up with that, but... It's because what what's weird is they're told that God is all good, so anything that happens had to have been caused by God if you believe that God is the first causer, you know, or even or even or even necess not necessarily a first cause, but just part of an infinite causal regression. Um, well, yeah, it's true that 
God would have caused everything that happens on this planet just as everything that happens in my life was caused by my parents having sex. It's true, because without that, my life would not have began. So, yeah. So, what's interesting is we could say that, yes, maybe God is a domino in the causal chain, but is not responsible any more than, you know, even though it wasn't the intention. Somebody, you could say God made a mistake or that God has no control over what living creatures do, which, of course, you would that would deviate from, of course, Christian theology that I know because they claim that God actually designed our brains, designed the way we think. And I think that's kind of depressing because if you because if you believe that God has designed the brains of everybody, well, then God has designed some people to have very bad intelligence. If you say that God has designed the bodies of people rather than going, you know, with evolution and biology and inheritance genes, I mean, it makes sense the way things are, are the way they are. But if you believe that all of us, our entire body, including our brain, was divinely created, divinely designed, well, then you're into a problem, George, because what happens then is God makes people born blind and deaf and mute. God makes people stupid. What you what you then is you have a really poor designer or a blind watchmaker, as Richard Dawkins would say, you know, although I, I think it was somebody else who actually came up with the blind watchmaker. But but yeah, uh, so. I think we, yeah, we, we want to deal with this, this issue of God's infallibility, whether he, God or, makes mistakes or not. But before that, yeah, you were talking about, like, can we um, absolve God of responsibility? Um, and I, it's, it's hard to do that. I mean, like, the way we absolve God of responsibility for evil is, again, how we were talking about before, if we posit that the causal regression behind everything that God does spans back into the eternal past and never stops spanning back, then again, we can never reach a point at which God, you know, that we can say God decided to create evil or to create this kind of like causal chain of events that will lead to evil, right? So that's, that's the only way that I can think of, of absolving God. Well, actually for evil, but infallibility being, and let's talk about that next, maybe an, another way. But see, the problem with absolving God of evil through this endless causal regression is that we also, through the same rationale, have to acknowledge that we can't credit God for any good either. Because again, like any good that, that you know, he would have done would again be subject to this endless causal regression where we never reach a point at which where which God you know said well I'm going to create this good. Well, what's interesting is that this enables us to feel at one with God, in a sense of instead of us being all impressed uh, oppressed by this tyrant mean God, is what could appeal to some people is that. God is just a, as much a victim uh, of causality as we are, and so we no longer we can apply the same compassion to to God as we can do with other humans and other animals and stuff, which I think might appeal to people. Um, it's kind of weird 
And you know what? And this is something you, you I'm sure you're aware of. Well, on one hand, God is supposedly, you know, this this powerful bossy dude, you know, uh, especially Old Testament mostly. But then in the New Testament of the Bible, well, then you've got this you've got this this Jesus who is supposedly sharing in the suffering of humanity and and but you know which which is interesting because i mean there's certain parts of Jesus that seem like he was he was a cool dude if those parts are true but there's also i i just had problems like you know like that he came to separate families you know and put son against father and all. like there there's those difficult things in cursing the victory but how i figured that out is like well he made a mistake you know like <laughs> and so what that's i guess that's how i sort of look at that is that you don't you don't need to look at anything as an infallible uh omniscient or omnipotent thing so in a way if people i suppose that if some people this might appeal to them is what i'm saying is that they no longer need to view um this god however it is they're believing in their god they no longer need to view him as a as a mean boss is threatening everyone with hell, but perhaps as their friend, which uh, many of them will claim to that God's their friend. And I mean, I mean, and this is just a, a short thing. Like for me, I look at that as kind of sad because, you know, I would rather have friends that I can see and hear like you, George, you know, I would rather have other human and other animal friends that I can actually relate to in a physical sense so that's why I don't I don't see how it's any benefit. But all right, Chandler. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Let's 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 go with this. Like so, like we're positing infallibility. Now here here are the kinds of considerations that we have to address if we want to like see God in that way. Um, on the one hand, you're right. Basically, like pain, suffering was a mistake. You know, God created evolution, and through the, this evolutionary process, pain came into being. And again, like without pain and suffering, there would be no evil. So, but then we have to kind of like now consider infallibility of God uh, relative to God's omnipotence. Um, or no, I'm sorry, rel relative to God's omniscience. Because basically, here's, here's how um, our problem. If we posit that God controls everything, you know, through the laws of nature, through his will, whatever, then I think we also have to posit that God knows everything. And then like, then we would have to posit that God kind of like knows the difference between right and wrong and a mistake and, and, and not a mistake. And that would kind of like, that argues a bit against infallibility, but, but we may, we may actually be able to come to it through, through a, a consideration. Like when we, when we consider God's omnipotence, you know, God's being all powerful. We're not saying that God can do everything or anything. In other words, even with God's omnipotence, God can't make one plus one equals three. You right. know, God can't do what's logically impossible. So, so if we apply that principle to omniscience, we might come up with, well, God knows all that can be known, but somehow that still allows for, for a certain manner of infallibility. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 presenting it i'm not sure i can you know defend that yeah you know, yeah that, now the open theists try to defend such a view that um 
like they redefine omnipotence as God can do anything that's not that's not logically impossible. You know, which which is it's a deviation from tradition. And then there's the omniscience is that God knows all that can be known. But the problem is the open theists also advocate free will. That the reason God doesn't know is because we have free will. So that, that there's a little problem there. But I do think we can borrow from that practice and realize, well, you know, well, yeah, um, it makes sense that God can't do something that's logically impossible. That, I mean, I, th I think a lot of people can get behind that, and some Christian apologists use that. But then what, what's interesting is that gets into, well, then God didn't, cre didn't um, create the rules of logic and can't break them. So I guess what's interesting is it still destroys the view of God as a first causer because logic precedes God. So it's a weird thing. Well, again, again, that's that's another transcendence of logic. I mean, how can logic precede God if if um, if God is eternal, right? So, like, you know, we're we're still left with this, you know, this conception of like of reality having to be eternal on the one hand, but then like it have having to have started on the other hand, and then God being the other um, component is that God is everything. You know, some people say that God, quote unquote, transcends space and time. But to my reasoning, that's illogical. How can you know, like, you know, I, I think that's impossible. That, that's just like, it's as illogical as like a free will or, or as one plus one equal, equaling three or four. Yeah, because when people say that God is outside of time, space, and causality, I'm saying, I know that can't exist. I, I downright say, I know that can't be, you know, because what does that even mean, you know? <laughs> All right. So, so like, all right. And then we have to kind of like define what we mean by infallible, because I, I believe the term really has salience when it's used in relation to suffering. Uh, maybe not. No, for example, like, let's say um, um, infallible, because like how we, you know, basically by my reasoning, it was a mistake to create sentient beings, you know, feel beings who can like feel pleasure and pain and, you know, to make, you know, beings like human beings and other or animals and organisms um, want, as we do, to, to seek pleasure and avoid pain and then afflict um, organisms, human beings, other animals. You know, to me, that's a moral mistake. You know, that's that's, you yeah. know. Yeah, there, and there's several reasons that it's wrong, because first of all, even though, yes, we are programmed to seek pleasure and avoid pain, there's so much pain that we can't possibly avoid. The natural disasters, the diseases, what other humans do to us, all these things that, even under a free will perspective, are still not our fault, because, you know, even if people do believe that people genuinely make free choices, you have a really hard time arguing that, say, unborn babies are responsible for some sin and deserve to die. You have a really hard time, even as a free will believer, making such a claim. You know, so yeah, it is. A, it would seem to be a mistake to create beings that can feel pain, and yet they don't have any way of avoiding that pain. Right. So now here's another consideration. Um, there could have been like other universes other big bangs you know other you know worlds and maybe there are many other worlds within the universe where there is no pain 
because there's no sentient being. So in other words, like one thing we have to consider before God created sentient beings through evolution, you know, there's not, you know, we can use evolution with this. Then there was no evil, you know, in other words, like, cause evil requires suffering. Evil would not be evil were, were not the cause of suffering. I think in a very rational sense. And so like, so that there, there, you know, before God created um, suffering, there's no evil. And again, there might have been like a time like before the Big Bang where there was evil again. So like what this brings us to is like, you know, all right, a lot of times like in religion, in life, we value life and we tend to really demean and devalue death. You know, and, and it's like, so, but because like, because we're talking about like an ultimate solution to our dilemma. You're, you're right. I, I, I think like if we survive climate change, I think we, we could theoretically develop our mind and biochemistry to the point where we're pretty literally like, you know, doing away with so much of the suffering with 99%, you know, the suffering, who knows, maybe childbirth for women might, might feel painful. I don't know. But, but like in terms of a, a complete solution to this. It may be that like, you know, this death that, that kind of like, you know, our life is what, 80, 90, 100 years, maybe like in, in a few you know, decades, it'll be 150 years, who knows, but it's relatively infinitesimally insignificant, um, you know, compared with the eternity that both came before us and after us. So, right. so in other words, like, so one way, one way to, to kind of like, overcome evil to kind of like have God in reality and then everything be all right would be to posit that that we have this kind of like a, that we don't just like you know exist for 80 hundred years and we're gone forever and doesn't matter but that we have some part of us that exists that that um exists beyond this this corporeality and then like for example if, if let's say a huge comet like a a um 50 kilometer comet you know it's about like you know, what is it like? Uh, I don't know, 25, 30 miles wide or something were to strike the earth completely, you know, um, basically extinct everything. I think all life, maybe, maybe some bacteria might survive. I don't know. But in other words, like that, that would be a way to kind of like um, both end suffering, you know, as we know it, of course, and then also end evil. So that way we could say like, well, God at that point can no longer be, um, you know, deemed evil. Can God though, be deemed good uh, again the, the, you know we're getting into the into the kind of like the the concept of of do we just exist in this lifetime or is there more beyond this yeah and it's a very interesting thing i believe we did a podcast on that before about you know the afterlife thing and it's weird because for a lot of people it's sad for them to think that this life is all there is for some reason that's sad for them um and, and I admit, if you've been raised to believe that you're going to live forever, and then you no longer believe that later, well, there is a certain sadness. Um, and it did change my perspective, because I know this life to exist, but I don't see any possibility of a soul-spirit-afterlife thing. Um, so what that did is that caused me to move away from some of my hobbies, which I enjoyed, but... Um, but I just felt like I wanted to make the most use out of this one life, and I became an activist about social issues, making a better, happier world. And you know, so the past two years, it's like when you realize your time is short, everything becomes more important. 
there's a, there's a thrill to it that I wish everyone could experience. Because if that is true, well, I've come to accept this and realize that I'm, you know, I can do good in this short life. And because have you ever heard about those times where somebody finds out that they're going to die in a few months or whatever, and then they make amends with friendships with all these people, they realize they're going to die, and then the last few months of their life are more productive and more happy for them than all the previous years they've lived? Well, that's my experience. You know, it's it's a weird feeling. So, yeah, we we'll want to get more into that. Now, we're at about 29 and a half minutes um, in this podcast, but we've talked about so many things. I mean, <laughs> let's do another one. Let's continue where we left off. You know, just talk about like, you know, basically a lot of people say like without free will, life has no meaning. Well, maybe let's compare that without like uh, eternal life. Maybe this, you know, life can have meaning also. That's that might be a good topic. Not, yeah, that sounds like a great subject. Okay. Um, I guess I'll, I'll kind of end this. Um, you've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs and George Ortega. We've talked about some interesting in to topics, and we're going to continue in more episodes. So bye-bye for now.